Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, As the Father loves me, So I also love you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my commandment. Love one another as I love you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know what his master is doing. I have called you Friends, because I have told you everything I have heard from my Father. It was not you who chose me, but I who chose you and appointed you to go out and bear fruit that will remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. This I command you, Love one another. The Gospel of the Lord. If your doctor were to inform you that you would probably die within a day or two, what would you do? I'd probably die on the spot. (laughs) I would imagine many of us would want to surround ourselves very closely with our family and our most intimate friends. And if we were to do that, what would you want to be sure to say to them? What would you leave with them? What would you do with them? This is exactly the context and setting of this gospel we've just read. Jesus knows his hour has come when he will pass from this life to the Father in the next world. And therefore he gathers his closest family and friends together, his disciples, and he says to them what matters most to him and I suppose to most of us, first and foremost, 
how much he loves them and also how much he wants them to love one another. And this is Jesus' last will and testament that becomes for sure the theme of the New Testament that we hand on generation after generation. This gospel that we look at today, a gospel of love. In the short eight verses that we've just read, love is used eight times. In the very first line, in the middle and in the end, we hear Jesus not only asking his disciples to love, but even commanding them to love. In the strongest passion, he says to them, love one another as I have loved you. You see the two-prong appeal to them, reminding them that he truly loves them, but asks them to share this love with others. I guess we would do well to take some time to look at the word love because we use it so often and hear it being written and sung about and we talk about it so much and you know we say such things as I just love Grater's ice cream you know, which I can appreciate you know or you see bumper stickers all the time I heart love my cat or my dog or or this city or that city or I've even saw one bumper sticker that said I just heart love bumper stickers <laughs> so we use the word so liberally that we lose a sense of its deepest meaning when used in a sublime sense which Jesus uses it in his gospel I guess that comes from the fact that in English we have only one word for the word love, but in Greek, the language in which this gospel and all the gospels were written, they commonly used three words. Two of them prominently appear in the New Testament. The very first word the Greeks had for love is eros, from which we have the word erotic today, referring and connoting a more sexual love. Uh, which is good love, you know, sexual, being a strong energy and chemistry between two people sexually attracted and sexually bonded to each other. And then there's a second love that's sometimes used in the New Testament and, and in this very gospel today, the word philia, from which we have the word Philadelphia, meant brotherly or sisterly or type of familiar, fraternal love, even suggesting a certain affection. And finally, we have the word agape, and that is the Greek word that denotes a sacrificial love, a laying of one's life down, the highest degree of love that characterizes divine depth of loving. And so, as we look at this gospel, we would need to know when Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, live on in this love, he's using the word agape. As the Father has given everything over to me, 
I now give everything of my life over to you. Now may you give everything of your life over to each other. Wow, now you can begin to appreciate the, the depths of this love to which we are to enjoy and share with each other. As we consider this agape love, allow me to describe it with what I would consider three characteristics or three ways in which this love needs to be expressed as Jesus suggests in this gospel. Agape love is not a feeling, as in a feeling of affection, so much as it is a decision. And in the Hebrew sense, the love was expressed in the heart, but the heart was a place of the will, where you decide to do something that was right. Not necessarily something you felt like doing, but what you knew was right, and so you did it. In the Mediterranean world, I learned this week in researching this gospel, affection was not necessarily their definition of a married love. In this world of Jesus, where you had pre-arranged marriages, you didn't fall in love because you oftentimes met your wife and husband on your wedding day. So you just learned how to love. Remember, this was uh, depicted beautifully in the famous Broadway musical play, Fiddler on the Roof, where Tavia, recall, the husband says to his wife, Goldie, on their 25th anniversary, Goldie, do you love me? Goldie says, do I what? I mean, what does this have to do with it? And then they, they share with each other, remember on our wedding day, I was scared, I was shy, I was nervous, so was I. But my father and my mother said we learned to love each other. So I'm asking you, Goldie, do you love me? She says, I'm your wife. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but do you love me? And she says, I suppose I do. And he says, I suppose I do. For 25 years, it doesn't change a thing. But after 25 years, it's nice to know, you know. Anyway, you have that sense of world in which one decides to love. I've learned this is such an important matter from people involved in marriage encounter, where they talk about those days when romance is gone, the honeymoon is long over, difficulties have raised the ante of their love, and all one can do is make a deep down decision, I will keep loving. I will keep being committed to my commitment to love. That's the kind of love Jesus loves us and asks of us. Even enemies can love one another. This is what Jesus asked of his country people when he walked that same land. This is what characterizes Jesus' teaching from any other teaching of his time. No one up to that time preached such a love of one's enemy, a love of countrymen, fellow countrywoman, yes, but never an enemy. But this is what Jesus asked. I am reminded of a 
father who has several sons who are continually fighting at home. And his favorite line to them is, how in the world do you expect that there be peace in the Middle East if there isn't peace in this house? I'm not asking you to necessarily hug each other. I'm just saying don't kill each other. <laughs> and Jesus would say to us, he is not asking us to like everybody. That would be impossible. He is asking us to be loving to everybody, to be forgiving to everybody, to be kind to everybody. And even that sometimes can seem or feel impossible, huh? But that is clearly and emphatically what Jesus is asking even more commanding of us. This is what will characterize a true Christian. They will know you are Christian by your agape love. Secondly, this agape love, Jesus goes on to say, is not known just by your admitting or saying, okay, I love you. But in fact, Jesus says, you will live in my love if you keep my commandments. Further, he says, there is no greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This has such powerful meaning, considering the following day, Jesus laid down his life for his friends. This is the best definition of agape love. What we see in the crucifixion, selfless service, complete giving of one's life for others. This is the kind of sacrifice the Lord is asking of us for each other. That we would be willing to, to do whatever we need to do, whatever the sacrifice that may be entailed, to help another person to grow. And oftentimes that is seen in terms of tough love, more often than in terms of tender love. When people are, are caught in what I consider a destructive relationship, oftentimes I suggest to them that they love each other a little bit more and do what's best for that other person's growth and welfare, which many times means giving up what we're holding on to in a possessive way that's more selfish than self-sacrificing. I can't help but think of another example of this kind of action of love than what we witness in South Africa with the elected president, Nelson Mandela, who sacrificed himself, you know, in being willing to go to prison for life, to stand up for the rights of his people. This is the kind of love that we're being called to when we ever, whenever we stand up for the rights of the unborn or the rights of others. I, I can't help but think, too, that 
what Nelson Mandela represents is this movement of action against the uh, apartheid, which is so hurtful of human rights, which is so anti-gospel to what Jesus taught, that all people are equal, all people deserve our respect and human dignity. But there are many other examples, obviously closer to home. Can't help but celebrate these historic occasions when knowing there's been such a long struggle over the years in South Africa, there's something that we rejoice in here because a victory of justice anywhere is a victory of justice everywhere. That's why it was so interesting for me to see in the news Coretta Scott King standing at Nelson Mandela's side celebrating this victory of his election because it just reminds us of the legacy of her husband who overcame the apartheid and prejudice and discrimination in this country against blacks. Love calls us to action. Finally, Jesus seems to suggest that love is not only a decision, it is not only in action, love is our very mission in life. Jesus concludes this particular gospel by saying that they may go and bear fruit, that your fruit must endure. This fruit that Jesus speaks of, I would suggest, is the fruit of the missionary work that he was sending his apostles out to be his ambassadors of love. And it is this fruit of the Spirit that is primarily love that he says is the gospel message. By this all shall know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. And remember they were celebrating this at this last supper meal that was filled with Jesus' outpouring of love for his friends. Later on, the early Christians, when they came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, they would also celebrate that uh, the Lord's Supper in the context of a meal. And that meal they called the Agape Meal. The Agape Meal reminding them that what we're sharing here is what Jesus shared with us, which is what the sharing of himself. So every time we come to this meal, and we would be well to remember this ourselves as we participate in the sacrifice of the Mass, that it is calling us to give more of ourself so that we could receive more of the Lord. And in this interchange, we have communion not only with Jesus, but communion with each other, the body of Christ at large. This is the agape meal we are called to receive. It seems to me that one of the ways we can best grow in this divine depth of love is by asking the Lord, when we receive him in communion, for his heart of love that will allow us to do more than what we would otherwise be capable of given our limitations. 
And you know how our love is limited by our moods, our disposition, the situation we're in. And so many times I just, I just can't stand this or I can't do this anymore. Well, we're probably right. That's true. So we need to call on God's love. That is the one secret, I believe, to the sanctity and ministry of Mother Teresa, who begins every day with her missionaries of charity, sisters, asking and celebrating the Eucharist, praying for the Lord's love so that they could take the Lord's love with them to all they meet on the street that day. That's what we need to do, to pray each day for that agape love, especially for those people who are so hard to relate to and impossible to like. Jesus not only says to his disciples that he asks them to love them and he loves them in this way, but there's one other really touching point of this gospel, and that is Jesus says, I do call you friends. I don't call you servants anymore. Now, we think of servants in the, maybe the most pejorative sense, but really, to be a servant of the Lord, it carries great dignity. I mean, it's a great ministry in itself. We pride ourselves in being servants of the Lord. But Jesus says to us, as he did to his disciples, but you're much more than that. I not only lay down my life for you, but I want you to know I also like you. <laughs> I like you. I feel the deepest affection for you, more than that, deep passion for you. And that word is philios that Jesus uses. So he is every degree of love for us. And he says when we share this depth of love, and, you go, and this is a wonderful point to consider, Jesus says, all this I tell you, that my joy may be yours, and that your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another. I would suggest that joy is the byproduct of living a loving life. And certainly anyone who sets out to be happy will be like a dog chasing its tail. It just doesn't work because you're always asking yourself, am I happy yet? <laughs> or, you know, are we having fun yet? And it will elude us always. But the great paradox is that we would think anyone who sacrifices him or herself so much would have, would lose himself so much, there'd be nothing to enjoy. The paradox is, look around you. Tell me who in your mind is the most loving person you know. And I will tell you a truly joyful person almost inevitably. The most loving people we know are people who are not necessarily jovial, you know, but in a deep down way have this certain peace and joy about them that it is truly the, the work of love that is a sign, the most infallible sign of God's presence in them. I would like to conclude this whole commentary with an example that I think is fitting considering that Sunday is Mother's Day and that 
I guess if there is ever a group of people who would exemplify this lesson of love, that love is sacrifice, that love is a decision, and it always calling us to action, it's mothers who from the very moment of giving birth give up something of themselves and go through a certain laying of their life aside to foster and nurture this life. Someone once said, being a mother is, is a courageous thing because it's like watching your heart that's always outside your body. <laughs> and it's something true about that. I guess it's true of, of good fathers too. Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.